Hello and welcome to the fifth edition of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, one-fourth of the Codex Prime podcast. It is Thursday, March 24th, 2016, and I am so glad to be back here with you all once again. Um, first, of, first of all, I want to give a, a special shout-out to our guest from this week's episode of the Codex Prime podcast, Paul DeFilippo. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on our show this week. Uh, it was an awesome conversation. Uh, we could have easily talked for about two more hours, but uh, we had to keep things, you know, pretty concise, you know, in, in the podcast world. But uh, we would love to have you back again on the show at some point in the future. So once again, man, thanks a lot for stopping by. And uh, and uh, once again, thank thank you to everyone who listens to our show on a regular basis, and uh, as well as Victor's Corner. Um, you can email the show at any time at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send an email to me, just type in Victor in the subject line, and I'll be sure to read your email in the next episode of Victor's Corner. Now, I am so pleased to be back this week because last Friday on the 18th, we saw on Netflix the debut of season two of Marvel's Netflix series Daredevil. And wow, what a hell of a season it was, people. I mean, if you haven't seen Daredevil yet, I suggest that you do so post-haste. And I would say that even if you're not a Marvel Marvel fan, even if you're you know not too heavy on the comic scene i think it's still worth the watch if you're a fan of action and also a fan of excellent writing and just great you know gritty crime narratives and there's going to be a lot of spoilers going in uh this uh, episode so i'm going to get into my thoughts on the whole season so i'm going to get into some spoiler territory as i go in depth on certain elements uh from the season so if you have not seen daredevil season two uh here are my spoiler-free thoughts. Uh, one, like I said, it's awesome. I absolutely love Charlie Cox's portrayal of Matt Murdock slash Daredevil. I think he's just an excellent. I think he's such an excellent choice for the role uh, as Matt Murdock. I, I really like his uh, mild-mannered take on the character. Someone who's calm under pressure, who who never delves into histrionics or, you know, self-aggrandizing as some other hero heroes might. He's just, you know, pretty much straight-laced straight, straight laced and all about, you know, doing the right thing. And he's willing to pay such a heavy price for doing the right thing. You know, he's willing to put, you know, test himself physically as well as ethically, you know, in, in order to get the job done. And I absolutely enjoy seeing all of the fight scenes all of the all of the brilliantly choreographed fight scenes with Charlie Cox. In fact, in season one, there was there was a it was a famous long take shot in which Daredevil's fighting all these goons inside this corridor, and season two takes that same approach and bumps it up just a notch, where he's fighting off the dogs of hell biker gang down a down this apartment and down this stairwell, and it's all weaved and it's all a series of long takes weaved together with uh, some slick transitions, and. Wow, it just has to be seen to be believed. I mean, I can't do it justice by describing it. So, you need to you need to stop this episode. You need to you need to, you need to stop this right here. Stop listening to me and just go watch it for yourself. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, man, I absolutely love love the character, and I also love the look of Daredevil's outfit. You know, the red and black just goes just just just, just seems so slick and just so you know 
it, it seems very practical, but also stylish at the same time. You know, much more than uh, Ben Affleck's uh, rinky-dink uh, leather leather S&M outfit from the 2003 film. I mean, the less said about that, the better. And, and I, oh, and I also like uh, his the upgrade the upgrade to his billy club which actually takes um i think it takes a bit of an element which kind of reminded me in a positive way of affleck's daredevil film where he has the billy club which is uh which is a which can you know be broken up into two pieces with this taut wire in between it can kind of be used as a nunchuck slash grappling hook and i thought that was a pretty nice touch so i absolutely love that that part and that elements of these of the show and i'm really looking really looking forward to seeing where his character goes from here and i'll get into that a bit more in the spoilers and uh as far as other elements go well like i said um this is where i'm going to issue my spoiler warning so once again if you have not seen season two of daredevil stop this episode right now go watch all 13 episodes and then come back here and listen to what i have to say about the season so you have been duly warned people so don't email me talking about oh man man why do you spoil this why do you why do you why do you spoil the season man you've been warned right here all right so cut the shit all right so spoilers will commence in five four three two one still with me cool welcome aboard let's do this so the storyline for season two of Daredevil takes place uh, shortly after the events of the first season, which saw the arrest of Wilson Fisk, who was the big bad of season one. Uh, Wilson Fisk, as you as you know, is portrayed by Vincent D'Onofrio in a brilliant and creepy performance. And shortly after Fisk's arrest, the, the law firm of Nelson and Murdoch enjoys newfound notoriety as a result. But they're still struggling to pay the bills as they take on struggling clients who can't seem to pay their legal fees with actual money. Uh, Fisk's arrest, however, has resulted in a power void in which several gangs and criminal groups are now clamoring to take the top spot that Fisk had occupied for so long. Now, meanwhile, a new mysterious figure emerges in Hell's Kitchen and starts slaughtering criminal gangs all throughout the city. And he's soon revealed as Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher. And complicating matters further is the arrival of Matt Murdock's former lover, Electra, who has her own reasons for re-emerging in his life. And if that wasn't enough, District Attorney Samantha Reyes enters the fray with a steely determination to take down Nelson and Murdock for good. Hell's Kitchen just got a couple of degrees warmer, folks. And as the rapper Earl Simmons would say, it's dark and Hell's Kitchen is hot. So as I've just mentioned, uh, Daredevil Season 2 sees the arrival of two brand new characters to the show in Frank Castle, aka The Punisher, and Electra Nachios. Huh, Electra Nachios. She does sound like a Mexican appetizer. <laughs> but anyway, um, we have to get into The Punisher in depth because... Um, Frank Castle is so integral to this season that, in many ways, season two of Daredevil is very much season one of The Punisher. And I, and for what it's worth, I really do hope that we get to see a Netflix series with The Punisher, or at least a miniseries, or a straight-to-Netflix movie, because John Bernthal's performance in this show was absolutely nothing short of awesome. I mean, his version of The Punisher is, is the version that we've been waiting for. And before I get into that any further, I have to give brief mention to 
the previous on-screen portrayals of Frank Castle that we've seen so far. Um, it began with 1989's uh, version of the character on screen starring Dolph Lundgren, which was a forgettable garbage action movie that I don't need to spend any more time describing because, well, the movie sucked. That's all you need to know. Then you had Thomas Jane in 2004 in a pretty good pretty good, you know, boilerplate, perfectly average action movie. I will say that Thomas Jane's take on the character was pretty interesting. Maybe a bit too nice. I would say a bit too nice, you know, for Frank Castle, but interesting enough that I would have liked to have seen at least one or two more films with Thomas Jane's version of the character, but alas, it was never meant to be. And then you had Ray Stevenson's take on The Punisher in Punisher Warzone in 2008. And good gravy, that movie, that movie was just so ridiculously awful that it's, it's, it's a comedy. That movie was a straight-up comedy. And the movie was so outlandish that in that movie, Punisher Warzone, Punisher actually punched a dude in the nose. And the guy's face exploded, like literally exploded on the screen. And then you had the main villain of Warzone, uh, played by Dominic West, who played Jigsaw. And Jigsaw is one of the key villains of the Punisher comics. And Dominic West's portrayal of Jigsaw was just so ridiculously hammy that you can cut strips of bacon off his performance. I mean, he just chewed up the scenery every chance he got. And, and he spoke in this, you know, this tough guy New York accent, you know what I'm saying? Where he's like, hey, we need to get the fucking Punisher because he uh, fucking uh, cut my face and shit you know what i'm saying and that was my bootleg that was my bootleg ass new york accent folks but that's that's neither here nor there so needless to say the punisher has gotten you know not the best of raps on screen you know thomas jane's performance notwithstanding and with the arrival of john bernthal's frank castle i mean god damn John Bernthal's Punisher does not fuck around, folks. Not even once. Not even once. And what's great about uh, Bernthal's take on the character is that his Frank Castle exudes this frightening intensity at all times. Like he has this, you know, this wide-eyed stare, this wide-eyed thousand-yard stare where, you know, just beneath those eyes, you can see a human being there, but you see a monster unleashed. And... He has this, you know, this wounded animal ferocity where, you know, he's at his most lethal when just when you think that you've got him cornered. And throughout the throughout the series, throughout the show, you know, his face throughout most of the season is just a mask of purple and black bruises, which is which is seen as like an external mark of his interior rage. And, and John Bernthal is no stranger to playing crazy, unhinged characters. I mean, we've seen his take of Shane from the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. And he also played another character uh, of a similar type in David Ayer's uh, 2014 war drama, Fury. And he, was, he, played, he played a character in that, in that film who was so unstable and so, so unsettling that anytime he walked in the room the air and the atmosphere instantly changed like on a dime and you did not want to be on the same street much less the same room as that guy and in many ways that same 
that same ferocity and intensity and uh, frightening aura is is uh, is exuded through John Bernthal's Frank Castle. But unlike the previous films, this version of Frank Castle is imbued is imbued with uh, with some complexity and some humanity, much more so than any of the other films. Because when you look at the the previous on-screen portrayals of the Punisher, they're kind of stylized as revenge fantasies in the same vein as Charles Bronson's Death Wish movies. And this season of Daredevil kind of goes way beyond that. It doesn't doesn't present the Punisher as just a simple gun-toting vigilante. It presents the human being underneath. And he's much more complex than, than he would seem on the surface. And the biggest element that I really enjoyed about the Punisher in in season two of Daredevil is that unlike uh, unlike previous on-screen portrayals also, uh, this show actually takes the time to explore the ethics and the morality of his grisly and violent work. Uh, this is exemplified in the third episode of of this of the show called New York's Finest, and in the third episode, it sees Daredevil being captured by the Punisher, and he's chained down on this rooftop with no means of escape, and plus he has a gun duct taped to his hand, and both Daredevil and Punisher they ex- they engage in this heated and intriguing exchange about the ethics of their own different approaches to crime fighting. And uh, this whole scenario where Daredevil's tied up and he's, uh, and he's uh, engaged in this debate with, uh, with, with Castle, it's actually, taken from a, it's actually taken from a comic arc called The Choice, written by Garth Ennis, who wrote many notable Punisher stories. So on the surface, you have Matt Murdock and Frank Castle. Daredevil and Punisher appearing on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, You have Matt Murdock who refuses to kill his enemies, and as an attorney, he strongly believes in the power of the law as well as redemption, which is informed by his Catholicism, which plays an integral role in how the character carries himself and how he views the world. And so Murdock believes that people deserve a second chance and that it is not his place to determine whether or not one lives or dies depending on their actions. Now, Frank Castle, or the Punisher, on the other hand, he operates by a simpler and arguably more reprehensible mantra where he basically states, if you're guilty, you're dead. Straight up. And in that respect, Castle considers Murdoch a half-measure, someone who doesn't go far enough in addressing crime. Um, I mean, sure, Daredevil can take down a thug and have him arrested, but what happens when said thug eventually returns to the street, robbing and raping and hurting, just like he didn't serve jail time at all? What happens then? So... So the Punisher, rather than put up, rather, rather than tolerate that revolving door justice, he decides to be the doorstop, a very lethal doorstop, mind you, and he and he goes about preventing crime his way. You know, quick, painful, one outcome, one bullet, maybe one or two dozen bullets, whatever it takes to get the job done. Frank decides, you know what? Rather than rather than have that have that criminal go through the system go through the whole charade of a, of a trial and then an imprisonment. You know what? I'll just put you six feet under, plain and simple. 
And you get the sense that Frank Castle could fit in very well with the fascist futuristic world of Judge Dredd. And I say that because when you look at the 2012 film Dredd starring Carl Urban, there you have a character who operates in a very fascist, very uncompromising means where if you're a guilt, if you're a criminal, and you're found guilty, you are spared no quarter whatsoever. The sentence is automatic death. And uh, you can take your pick. Do you want the bullet in your head or in your chest? One or the other. Either way, you're not going to live to see tomorrow. So I can see Frank Castle operating with impunity in that world, alongside Dread, probably. And that's a very scary thing to think about. You know, come to think of it, I would like to see a sequel or follow-up to, to that film Dread, maybe Netflix can bankroll a miniseries or maybe a crossover with uh, Frank Castle. Who knows? And yeah, man, as uh, Castle and Murdoch are arguing against each other, uh, things get even more complicated in this episode where uh, Matt Murdoch's friend and legal partner, Foggy Nelson, and Karen Page, they're trying to track down uh, this guy named Grotto, who happens to be the uh, lone survivor of Punisher's massacre of his Irish gang. And in, in an earlier episode, uh, Nelson and Murdoch actually take on Grotto as their client, who's, see who's seeking protection from this, from this big bad, the Punisher. And... During their and during their debate between uh, Castle and Murdoch, uh, Castle actually makes things even more compl complicated. He actually decides to put Murdoch's moral and ethical stance to the test in a rather stark way. He actually reveals that he actually captured Grotto. He actually trots him out, and Grotto's begging for his life. And Mur and Castle reveals to Murdoch that Grotto actually recently killed an innocent woman and beforehand grotto had had told uh had told foggy foggy and matt that he didn't kill anybody that he was just part of the irish gang you know just, just doing you know favors for them he was just like a henchman basically but he ne but he never killed but after castle presents murdoch this information about what grotto actually did murdoch realizes that he has a gun duct taped to his hand and castle says okay you have a choice either you get to kill grotto or i'll do it for you and when, and with this it's like wow man what the hell is matt gonna do i mean there's no visible means of escape i mean he's chained down he only has his right arm free with the duct tape with a gun duct tape to his to his hand and it's like wow punisher's got him dead to rights what does he do is he gonna shoot grotto and end his misery or is he gonna shoot castle or is he gonna shoot himself well he's not gonna shoot himself but but it's it's like wow man it's like after all of Murdoch's, you know, talk about ethics and, and, and morality, what's he going to do in, in, in the heat of the moment when it's crunch time, when he's on the spot? And uh, you see how the scene unfolds. Grotto eventually, you know, he dies. You know, there's no way he's, he comes out of the situation. Daredevil decides to turn the gun on the chain that's bounding him. And uh, throughout that, as Grotto's dying, you kind of wonder, all right, um, we we we've we've learned that Grotto did kill an innocent woman, according to Castle. So, in that respect, so with that in mind, does that instantly mean that he's automatically that he automatically deserves to die, or does is he is he is he still worthy of redemption? Because when you think about the idea of redemption, shouldn't that also be applied to the very worst of us? Even the ones who've done the most heinous and most 
awful crimes imaginable if they want to actually make a change do they de- should they do they deserve to have that chance to do so and you know the and thankfully the the episode doesn't answer that question for you in a concrete way it actually leaves you to decide for yourself and you know I'm still I still go back and forth on it myself as far as you know Grotto's fate whether or not he deserved to die and you come to understand both men's perspectives both Daredevil and Punisher and you might not agree and you might agree or disagree to varying degrees with their stance but you do understand where both are both men are coming from and I and I sh- and I greatly appreciate that level of you know complexity to uh to this type of fare so all of this and more makes episode three of season two uh, not only one of the best episodes in the current season of Daredevil, but also one of the best episodes in the entire series, in my opinion. I just love the questions that it raises as far as Frank Castle's actions and his very being, and also Matt Murdock's for that matter. And also, that kind of uh, reminds me of a later scene in in the middle of the season where Frank Castle is arrested and put on trial in the so-called trial of the century, as the media dubs it. And in this trial, Frank Castle is represented by Nelson and Murdoch, or or to put it more accurately, Foggy Nelson and Karen Page. And uh, they're going up against uh, District Attorney Samantha Reyes, who's itching to put Frank Castle away for life. And during the trial, uh, Reyes actually compares Castle to real-life vigilantes from decades past. And she actually name-drops an infamous case, this guy named Bernie Getz, who, if you, if, who, if you don't know, uh, Bernie Getz in 1984, he was a guy who infamously shot and wounded four men who tried to mug him in the subway in New York. And like the Punisher... Uh, Bernie Getz actually received both praise and condemnation for his actions, both in the media and in and in the public. And some actually regarded him as a folk hero as a result, just like some people regard the Punisher as a folk hero in in the series. And that actually kind of that I was actually rather struck. I was actually taken aback that the show would actually go so far as to name drop real life cases like that to give. Castle's actions in the show context, because like I like, like I mentioned earlier, when you look at how the Punisher was portrayed previously, he was always just a basic uh, revenge fantasy hero. Whereas this this show goes out of its way to show you that hey, you know Frank Castle's actions, whether or not you agree or disagree, they should give you pause because here is a brutal, unhinged man. And the severity and the brutality of his actions, along with his state of mind in the show, it doesn't make it easy for viewers to indulge in that revenge fantasy that many other films have. And um, it's 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 not like it's not like the first uh, it's not like Max Payne, where you can actually bullet time your way through hordes of mobsters and bad guys. No, like I said, John Bernthal's Punisher should should make you pause and go okay am i rooting for this guy i mean i know he's a cool character and all but i mean should i should i really root for him in that in that in that action hero way or should i you know really take a step back and see what he's really truly about and if i really do root for him what am i really rooting for and what does that say about me 
so th- those those are the questions that you know castles of uh castle in daredevil season two present to the viewer and like i said i really admire that complexity that that you don't see in many other marvel cinematic universe films or or shows like agents of shield for that matter and last but not least, there are a couple other things I'd like to mention about The Punisher before we move on here. Um, I really liked the clever presentation of the iconic skull logo that The Punisher is known for. And uh, what's cool about it is that his, the skull logo is first seen as an x-ray of his own skull with the bullet lodged in the right temple of his head. And in a way, the, the x-ray of his skull looks more unsettling than the white painted skull logo that we've seen in the comics and that we eventually see in the last episode of Daredevil. I think a special mention has to be given to the scene where Murdoch and Castle, you know, they escape uh, they escape uh, after fighting the uh, biker gang and uh, the dogs of hell, and they and they and they find themselves in this graveyard. And uh, as Castle, as they're taking a breather, Castle is actually um, revealing himself, and he's actually explaining to Matt Murdock, you know, his his slain family, and you know, and you know all the memories that he has of them. And it's a very moving performance uh, from Bernthal, and I was like, wow, man, that's. That's perhaps the most human that's the most human and more and most raw that we've seen that character on screen so far and I think special mention has to be given uh, to that to that particular uh, moment so yeah man uh, like I said before we move on at the end of the day I really do hope that we get to see more of John Bernthal's Punisher in the future because I think it would be a crime if if his if his version is stuck to only Daredevil the series. And so moving right along, I would be remiss, totally remiss, if I didn't give equal amounts of attention to the supporting characters of the show, uh, beginning with Foggy Nelson, played by Eldon Henson, who really stepped it up in a major way this season. Um, I absolutely loved how he brought his A-game more than ever. And when you look at, when you, when you look at how he carries himself, you know, as, as Murdoch is formidable, at physically disarming foes as Daredevil, Foggy is equally as formidable at verbally disarming and triumphing in critical situations. Um, when you think about it, Nelson could have easily and lazily, mind you, been presented as this good but not quite as skilled counterpart to Matt Murdock's, you know, unflappable, cool under pressure defense attorney partner. But thankfully, Eldon Henson does a wonderful job at showing us why his name comes first in the law offices of Nelson and Murdoch. For instance, you know, there's a scene where where Nelson is at the hospital trying to get information from Rosario Dawson's character, Claire Temple, a.k.a. the night nurse who tended to Murdoch's wounds from the previous season. And w- while he's trying to talk to her, you know, the ER is packed with hoodlums who are surviving victims of the Punisher's rage. And during the chaos, there's these two goon-ass dudes who are about to stab each other or shoot up each other in the middle of this densely packed ER, and all these innocent bystanders are surrounding them. And rather than cower in a corner somewhere nelson actually steps in and he smartly diffuses the whole situation just by informing both goons of what would happen to them if they try to kill each other and astonishingly enough these two goon ass dudes actually stop stop their dick measuring contest and they actually put the weapons down and everything goes back to normal and i was like whoa 
Really? Foggy Nelson? Bruh. I had no idea he had it in him. I mean, granted, yeah, he's... I mean, I, I got the sense that, yeah, he's a, he's a good attorney. But, man, when it comes to, like, high-pressure, high... You know, pressure cooker situations like that. You know, I was just impressed at how Nelson actually stepped in bravely and managed to defuse the whole situation on his own. So props to him for that. And also, there's also another scene later on in the in the middle of the season where it takes place during the Frank Castle trial. And there's a scene where Nelson and Paige they're waiting for Matt to arrive and enter the courtroom. And I can and I, I could kind of see how this scene could have played, you know, in in the in the normal and cliched way where you know you have Foggy and Karen, you know, they're they're waiting for Matt to arrive to deliver this impassioned opening statement, and as they're waiting nervously you can kind of see the da district attorney reyes kind of look at them all smugly and talk about oh where's where's your knight in shining armor where's your hero where's your hero partner now and i can kind of see the judge step in and be like mr nelson is the defense ready for the last time and then nelson could stand up and be like uh your honor and then just just when he's about to you know launch into his own um opening statement matt murdoch will come rushing in with the doors open and the people will look and they'll and they'll gasp and they'll be chatter amongst the uh people occupying the courtroom and then matt murdoch will stride in confidently and deliver those this most impassioned opening statement therefore saving you know foggy nelson and karen page from embarrassment in the courtroom but thankfully that none of that bullshit happened none of that predictable bullshit unfolded in this scene. What actually happens is that Matt Murdock is in a complete no-show. He does not show up in this critical trial, the trial of the century. Uncharacteristic for Matt Murdock, mind you, but Foggy decides to step it up and he decides to deliver his own impassioned opening statement to the jury about Frank Castle's character. And, you know, just seeing just seeing him you know, to seeing him st step up in such a major way again, you know, you just have to give ultimate respect to Foggy Nelson as a character because, you know, he's not a schmuck who's just there to occupy space or, you know, just to be there for, just to be a person for Matt Murdock to save on a regular basis. No, Foggy might not know his way around, you know, fisticuffs, but when it comes to verbal exchanges, when it comes to, you know, standing up for himself and diffusing situations foggy nelson has got it has got it down he's he he, he he comes through in the clutch and you know he doesn't it's nice hey it'd be nice if he has some help by his side but yo he can lay it down he can lay the law down flat on his own and i really enjoyed how his character was developed further uh in in this season and i really appreciated that his character was not written as as just another person for Matt Murdock to save on a regular basis. No, he can do it on his own when he needs to. And also, I really loved how Nelson stood up to the DA when in an earlier scene where she basically stated that, oh, she has the upper hand and how she's going to use it to crush Nelson and Murdoch once and for all. And Foggy just stood up to her and said, basically, look here, Miss Thing. You don't get to call the shots around here. I'm Foggy Nelson. If you want to get froggy with Foggy, I suggest you jump because I will shut you down, boo. I will shut you down. Hashtag respect. Know this. 
So yeah, man, good on him. And also, you know what? I'm really intrigued to see how, how, where rather, to see where Foggy Nelson goes from here. Because when you look at the last episode of Daredevil Season 2, he actually signed on to be a part of Jerry Hogarth's firm. Jerry Hogarth being the uh, attorney played by Carrie Ann Moss in the excellent Jessica Jones series. So I'm really intrigued to see where he goes from here. I mean, is he going to interact with Jessica Jones? Is he going to interact with Luke Cage? Is Nelson and, is, is Nelson and Murdoch forever underneath the ground? I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe the next season of Jessica Jones might provide some answers. And also, speaking of characters who step it up, we have to give special mention to Karen Page, played by Deborah Ann Wall. And uh, she was so good in this season. Uh, Karen Page has been through a hell of a lot. And like Foggy Nelson, she puts on her big girl draws and she takes her game to a whole nother level as well. Uh, she demonstrates a real knack for journalism and legal expertise and as she's investigating Frank Castle's life and um, his latest incidents. And it's clear that she's being groomed to take the place of the late Ben Urich, the journalist played by Vondi Curtis Hall, who was killed by Wilson Fisk in the previous season. So I really, I really liked how her character stepped stepped up in a major way. Now, however, if the series is following certain elements from the comics, uh, in particular Frank Miller's famous Born Again storyline, will we see Karen Page eventually meet her doom? I mean, I really hope not. I really hope not because she's such a great character and she's somebody who pushes through her fear, somebody who doesn't let her fear totally consume her. And she she actually strives to get the answers that she needs in spite of it. And for such a strong character, you know, I really don't want to see her, you know, be killed off like she was in the comics. So if season three does roll around, if they do bring in, say, Bullseye, I do hope that that doesn't mean that Karen Page is going to have to say sayonara because Deborah Ann Wall is such a fantastic addition to the show that I think that I think that the series will be diminished somewhat if her character was absent. So, I'm just putting that I'm just putting that out there. Hopefully, she'll stick around for the long haul. And last but certainly not least, we have to talk about Electra played by Elodie Young. And Electra was a very interesting character. You know, here you have a woman who's dangerous, exceedingly arrogant, and strangely alluring. And she's a, she provides a solid counterbalance to Daredevil. And I really liked how how her character, you know, provided a provided a sharp, you know, moral and ethical contrast to Matt Murdock just like the Punisher. And you know, seeing how Seeing you know the flashbacks where they first met, um, I can kind of I can definitely see how and why Matt Murdock would be attracted to a woman like Electra, because you have someone who, even though she's someone who clearly enjoys and relishes in killing and death dealing, for Matt Murdock he sees someone that understands him in a way that nobody else really does. So I can understand why Matt Murdock would fall for her. And also, uh, I also loved how Elektra, you know, handled herself in the action in the action scenes. You know, she's a very formidable fighter, and and Elodie Young, you know, she did such a great job in in, in bringing that in bringing that character to life. And 
you know, I'd like to see where her character goes from here. You know, and, and as much as I enjoyed Elektra, you know, there were a few narrative elements, so a few story elements involving her character that were sli slightly iffy, in my opinion. You know, some things that kind of I felt were a little questionable. Uh, one example of that is the fact that she's touted as this uh, so-called black sky weapon, this living weapon of mass destruction. And uh, the Black Sky, you know, she's basically sought after by uh, this evil, shadowy, ninja-filled ninja organization called The Hand. And The Hand is a major arch-nemesis of Daredevil in the comics. And, and, for one, and for one thing, to get into it real quick, I really liked how The Hand was handled and presented in, in this series. You know, they, pro they proved to be very formidable and challenging enemies that, you know, further test daredevil's limits i mean they're the first enemies we've seen that are actually can actually conceal themselves from daredevil's extrasensory perception like he, he he actually can't hear them coming and so he ha so when he's fighting them he has to adjust his you know approach to fighting them and i thought that was a very interesting you know wrinkle in 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 the series and also in the character but, you know, like I said, with uh, Elektra as this black sky weapon that the Hand is looking for and, and uh, intending to use for their own nefarious ends, I did find the whole details surrounding her as the black sky to be a little too vague and a little too confusing, in my opinion. And I know that this is partly by design because, you know, to keep things mysterious. And also, this is pure speculation on my part, but I'm thinking that the Hand and this Black Sky, they might eventually become the, the big bads of, 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 the, of the MCU Netflix universe that uh, the Defenders eventually have to face. And the Defenders consist of uh, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And given the the hands, you know, mystical and supernatural leanings, I can kind of see them as, you know, eventually becoming the the big, you know, equivalent Netflix equivalent to Thanos and the Infinity War. So I don't know that again. That's pure speculation on my part, but we'll have to wait and see how it all unfolds. But. Uh, one thing that I found a little vague and confusing about the whole hand and black sky deal is the fact that you know you have this um, you have this uh, scene where you know all of these uh, these select group of young people or children they're captured by the hand and all of their blood is being drained into this big huge gigantic urn thing this urn container which supposedly contains this beast or this godlike being within. So and then and then at the end of the uh, of the se of the season where Electra is killed and her body is exhumed by the hand and her body is placed within this same urn, I was thinking, okay, well, was the urn empty the whole time, or, or were they just were they just you know, you know, depositing blood into it? And if so, what was it feeding exactly? Or is the black sky not just Electra? Is a black sky a combination of Electra plus whatever beast, thing, creature, whatever is inhabiting or hibernating in this giant urn? We don't know. And I think that 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 element of the show could have been explained a bit more clearly without ruining the mystery at the same time. But but nonetheless, you know, I'm still intrigued to see where where this 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 supernatural element of elements of the show will go from here because given the grounded approach that the netflix marvel series are taking 
I, I don't want to see something going full tilt, you know, full tilt supernatural and outlandish like the like the mainline MCU films and Agents of Shield. But I like to keep it, you know, hopefully they'll keep things rather grounded while presenting that air of extraordinary, you know, wonder as well. But again, like I said, we'll we'll see where we'll see how it plays out from here. And uh also one final thing, I'm very I'm very curious to see how Karen's how the relationship between Karen Page and Matt Murdock will develop now that Matt Murdock has at last revealed to Karen Page that he is in fact the devil of hell's kitchen. And I'm also curious, has Matt Murdock completely abandoned practicing law? I mean, now that Nelson and Murdock is no more, does that mean that Matt Murdock is going to strike it out on his own as as his own, you know, one man, you know, law firm or is he just going to leave that aspect of his life on the wayside permanently and devote himself full-time to fighting crime on the street and you know now that now that karen page has has learned that matt murdoch is daredevil i'm thinking back to the last shot of season one of daredevil where matt and karen you know they briefly hold hands and the camera is actually focusing on karen's face and um, she has this look on her face where she appears to to uh intuit that Maybe, just maybe, there's more to Matt underneath the surface. And maybe Matt Murdock is, in fact, her hero, Daredevil. And, you know, the look on her face from the end of the first season, it kind of got the sense that maybe, maybe season two will begin with her, you know, putting the pieces together on her own. But as season two unfolded, it appeared that, you know, she just totally forgot about it. But hey, but nonetheless, she knows now. So hopefully uh, we'll see... We'll see where that leads her character as well as Matt Murdock. And um, uh, all I can say is, you know, bring on season three. I am waiting with with anticipation like nothing else, man. And so when all is said and done, folks, at the end of the day, Daredevil season two is 100% pure, unadulterated grade A awesomeness. It is every bit as awesome as the first season, and I cannot wait until we see season three of this show coming down the pike. And you know what? Between uh, this season of Daredevil and the first season, as well as Jessica Jones, Marvel Studios is three for three in the Netflix game. And for my money, the Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe is where it's at. I mean, say what you will about the mainline MCU films, as enjoyable and as entertaining as they are, I think that the Netflix game is where Marvel Studios has some of their strongest and best material. And I can't wait to see, you know, what they have in store with Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and whenever the next seasons of Jessica Jones and Daredevil arrive. I mean, right now, it's a great, it's a, it's the best time to be not only a Marvel fan, but a comics fan as well. That's for sure. And so that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Victor's Corner. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, feel free to email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. That's codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to type in Victor in the subject line if you want your email to be read on the next episode of Victor's Corner. And once again, you can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as YouTube. Once again, thanks a lot for tuning in, and I'll catch you guys whenever I catch you guys. Take care.